So uh, Colossians chapter 3, Colossians chapter 3. So uh, in the early uh, part of Colossians, uh, as, as we looked at, uh, like in, in many of Paul's writings, um, the first part is kind of theoretical, maybe theological, foundation teaching that he wants everybody to know. And then the latter part of the books, and we saw this in Philippians, we saw it in Ephesians, the latter part starts to get a little bit more practical. Uh, here's what to do about all this stuff that I've been trying to teach you. And, and you'll, you'll get a little bit of that transition uh, today. And so uh, just kind of have that, have that little bit of a transition in your mind. And then I think this is also a good opportunity to look back at uh, what I think are at least a couple of theme verses. So if you look back to Colossians chapter 1, verses uh, 9 and 10, and if you haven't put a little uh, underline next to these, uh, there's still time. Chances are I'll hit them again before we're over. Uh, it says um, in verse 9, And so from the day we heard, we have not ceased to pray for you. And then this is the, we find out what is he praying for us asking that you be filled with the knowledge of his will and all spiritual wisdom and understanding, so as to walk in a manner worthy of the Lord, fully pleasing to him, bearing fruit in every good work, and increasing in the knowledge of God. So right here in this verse, you've got those two things. I want you to understand the spiritual wisdom issue and understanding, and then I want it to make a difference so that you can do something with it so that you can walk the way that you should walk. And um, we'll, we'll get into that today. And uh, I think in, in many ways, uh, the passages that, or the verses that we'll go over today, uh, I think really gets at the heart of what it is to be a Christian, what it is to walk that Christian walk um, or, or stumble that Christian walk as it is sometimes. Uh, it this is really where the rubber meets the road of, of what does it mean uh, to live, uh, you might say, the Christian life, and uh, whatever, that, whatever that means. So we'll, we'll look at that. So let's start with uh, verse 1 of chapter 3. It says, If then you have been raised with Christ, seek the things that are above where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. And as we've seen in a couple places where it says, If then... Um, you could almost pencil in since then. Okay, this isn't really a question. It's uh, Paul's kind of rhetorical work going on there. Uh, since you've been raised with Christ, uh, the ESV says, seek the things that are above. The NIV says, um, set your heart on things above. Set your heart on things above. Um, this, if if then you've been raised with Christ, since then you've been raised with Christ. Um, we'll see in a, a couple of verses, um, uh, this idea of being raised with Christ is a, a notion that Paul looks at a good bit in Romans chapter 6, and uh, we'll probably uh, jump over there uh, in just a moment uh, to really kind of get even deeper foundation of this concept. But anyway, it says, uh, if you've been raised with Christ, in other words, if you are a Christian, then seek the things that are above. Uh, I, I actually like the NIV on this part where it says, set your heart on things above. 
I think the, the heart issues and mind issues, we kind of, even in our own vernacular, we kind of talk about that. And, and to me, uh, the heart has to do with like, what's your motivation? What, what's your inclination? What's that, that inner drive, so to speak? At the start of verse 2, it says, set your mind on things above. So uh, that seems more kind of intellectual and uh, logical, you might say. So uh, let's look at both of those, this setting our heart and then setting our minds. And I think the, um, this concept of setting your hearts, uh, here Paul is talking to this cosmopolitan group of uh, believers and is, is telling them, okay, uh, these are, th- this is going to be my expectation for you. I want you to really set your heart on things above. I want you to um, really incline your heart um, to, to have this mind of Christ, you know, to start to identify and, and get your heart together with the things of Christ. Uh, nowadays, if, if you join some business, there's this concept of, uh, have you heard the term onboarding? Have you heard that term? Who's going to onboard this new person? Which sounds strange when you say it in a context like this. What, what do people mean when they say onboarding? Don't know how to talk. What? Mentoring. Mentoring. Good. Bring him up to speed. Get this person up to speed, right? And a lot of times it has to do with, you know, here is our kind of corporate culture, right? Here's how, you know, if you're wearing, you know, the, the badge that says Acme products, here is how Acme employees are supposed to act, right? Uh, of course, Acme is the company that makes all of the things that the Roadrunner gets exposed to by the coyote. Uh, but whatever, whatever this company is, uh, this is how we expect you to act. This is, and, and you would get this same talk. I, I know this from experience. You get this same talk whether you are going to be the, the greeter at the door or whether you're going to be the corporate CEO. The, there is a group of things that you will be exposed to no matter who you are, because the expectation is everybody in the company is supposed to act this way. I almost think that concept applies to Paul here, because Paul's saying, okay, um, all you folks that are from all different parts of the world, and here you are, the only thing you guys have in common is that you're now Christians. So here's what that should look like. Here's Here's what, you know, this, you're on this team now. Uh, this is what this team uh, should look like. This is how you should act. Um, there was a, uh, there was a um, story in the paper recently. There's this big Wall Street firm. Apparently it's the most prestigious Wall Street firm to work for. It's called Goldman Sachs. I think if you get on with Goldman Sachs, you're set for life. You will make millions of dollars. And, but there's this training that they had to go through. You guys may have read this little story. And about 20 of the people cheated on their test, the little internal training test that apparently all young stockbrokers have to take. Well, they, they cheated. Well, they got shown the door. And 
you know, apparently, maybe back in the day, you know, before the Wall Street got scrutinized, maybe you could get away with some things, but apparently Goldman Sachs has said, nope, this is the way we're going to act now, and you're out of here. They've tried to set the culture for their company, or reset the culture for their company. That's what Paul's trying to do. So let's, let's, get, let's get your heart on things above, right? All this earthly squabbles and stuff, the little differences between, well, this is how I was raised, or this is how I heard you ought to be a Christian, or, you know, no, let's, let's elevate that. Let's get our focus on Christ, because we're, if we're all looking at the same person, if we're all looking at Christ, we're going to start to all look alike, and we're going to create that kind of culture because our hearts are, are wanting to be like Christ. They're wanting to do what Christ would do. The other side of that coin, verse 2, set your mind on things that are above, not on things that are below. Uh, this is, you know, the, the setting your heart, that's the motivation side of things, that's the the touchy-feely side, the setting your mind. Okay, now I've got to, I've got to think about this. I've got to evaluate this. If, you know, do I need to make some different choices now? Do I need to write my checks to different people now? Do I need to uh, spend my free time in different ways? You know, what are the concrete decision points that would help me align uh, myself with Christ? Uh, Paul's telling them, I want you to be. Uh, really practical here, um, and both of these admonishments to set your heart and to set your mind. This is the positive side of things. This is Paul telling them, "Here's what I want you to do." Now, his reason shows up in verse three. It says, "For you have died, and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is your life, appears, then you also will appear with Him in glory." He's He's letting them know that uh, you're different now, okay? You serve a risen Savior. Uh, this should mean something. And if you flip over to Romans chapter 6, Paul spends... We know, you know, we've gone through Romans. We know that, that Paul kind of puts on his attorney hat and uh, his debate hat, and he is laying out this big extensive argument. And he does that in detail in Romans chapter 6. Um, but this is the underpinning philosophy of what he refers to briefly in Colossians. And I'll just pick up, say, um, uh, in verse 3 of Romans chapter 6, it says, Do you not know that all of us who have been baptized into Christ Jesus were baptized into his death? We were buried, therefore, with him by baptism into death, in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead by the glory of the Father, we too might walk in newness of life. So this is this concept of identification. Um, uh, we can identify with Christ because uh, we have been, in essence, kind of with him as our old self died and as our new self was raised. This is the picture of baptism, right? You know, the, even the words that the pastor usually says, you know, buried and raised to walk in new life in Christ. You know, this, this is the picture uh, that that Paul is trying to say, uh, this this there's there's a new a, a new plan here. This old stuff is is gone and buried. In verse five, he he says, if we have been united with him in a death like his, 
we shall certainly be united with him in a resurrection like his. We know that our old self, here's this concept that we'll be looking at again in Colossians 3, our old self was crucified with him in order that the body of sin might be brought to nothing so that we would no longer be enslaved to sin. For one who has died has been set free from sin. So if we've died with Christ, we can now live with him. And uh, this concept of the old self being put to death and now... Um, that sin that had enslaved us shouldn't enslave us anymore. And we're, we'll talk about the practical side of this because sometimes it's not quite so simple as we all know. He picks up in verse 5. So now we're going to look at... Colossians. Yeah, I'm sorry, back in Colossians. Sorry, thank you, Dad. Back to Colossians chapter 3 in verse 5. He says, put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. So he's, he's encouraged us to set our hearts and minds on this positive ideal, and now he's going to tell us the flip side. All right? You plant a garden, you're going to plant some seeds, and you've got to pull some weeds. So now we're going to pull the weeds. Now we're going to work on the bad stuff. Put to death, therefore, what is earthly in you. Sexual immorality, impurity, passion, which um, I think the NIV rightly translates lust evil desire, covetousness, which is idolatry. On account of these, the wrath of God is coming. In these, you too once walked when you were living in them, but now you must put them all away. And now here's another list. Anger, wrath, malice, slander, obscene talk from your mouth. Do not lie to one another, seeing that you have put off the old self. There's the old self image again. With its practices, and now you're putting on the new self, which is being renewed in knowledge after the image of its creator. This taking off the old self, putting on the new self, we've seen this in a couple places. Um, uh, the concept that um, very often uh, back in the day when, when a person was baptized and after they came up, they were actually given a new set of clothes to put on. And this is symbolic, to put on the new self. In verse 11 he says, here, there's not Greek and Jew, circumcised and uncircumcised, barbarian, Scythian, slave, free, but all, and in all. Apparently, I don't know where, where Scythian was, but apparently it was considered to be the hinterlands, the, the furthest away you could get from civilization. Uh, that was, I guess, where the Scythians were. Um, so whether you're sophisticated or Scythian, um, I guess that would be our modern-day equivalent of uh, redneck, slave-free, but Christ is all and in all. In other words, it doesn't matter your background. Everyone takes off the old. Everybody puts on the new. So this is the, the um, uh, kind of the, the flip side of this. Um, the, this list here, no matter where you're from, uh, but they're all on the same team. Now, I don't know how many baseball fans are out there. Um, I, I've been kind of following the Kansas City Royals since um, that's, uh, uh, you know, Merritt's hometown, and the only time I've ever been to a pro baseball game was to see the Royals play. Uh, they're in the playoffs, and they're doing pretty well. Of 25 people on their active roster, only 15 of them were born in America. And... There's only one that was born within 300 miles of Kansas City. There, there's a guy on the, their roster from Lincoln, Nebraska. Um, 
the next closest one is in Dallas. I think the next closest one is like Valdosta, Georgia. There's even a guy, well, actually, there's a guy from Macomb, who's uh, not far from where we grew up. Um, there are literally millions of fans in and around Kansas City that are cheering for these folks, none of whom are from Kansas City. They're not even close. Their top three pitchers are from the Dominican Republic. I'm serious. But when you see them play, they're not wearing their Dominican flag or their Lincoln, Nebraska colors. They're all wearing the Kansas City colors. This is, this is us. And one of the, I guess, little points of application is that, and I think you guys have probably seen this, the more authentic the Christian no matter the denomination, the more they look alike. Have you noticed this? You take a, a strong Christian from any you know, of the typical evangelical faiths, they would be happy no matter probably what church they were in. Because they know the baggage of whatever their own denomination is, and you know every denomination has a little baggage. And they recognize that. They know it's not the essential thing. They know the heart of the gospel because they're focused on Christ. They're not focused on the Baptist faith and message or whatever leads you know, the Methodists or the Presbyterians or whatever. They're focused on Christ. You saw this back in the day when they were like the, the big uh, Billy Graham crusades, right? And Every evangelical church within hundreds of miles was all pulling together. They were all singing in the, the crusade choir. I mean, it didn't matter, right? Because they knew it's all about just saving souls. So this is a concept that Paul is trying to, to get at. And I think that's you know, just always a good reminder for us that, uh, to kind of make the main things be the main things. And uh, I think... Uh, Covenant really has done a pretty good job trying to, to keep the barriers between us and other uh, sister churches in town to a minimum. Uh, I think we should continue to do that um, uh, as we see opportunities to, uh, to forge relationships across uh, those uh, kind of old boundaries. We should, uh, we should take that opportunity for sure. So it's pretty straightforward stuff, right? You're a Christian now. You should start acting like a Christian. So why is it so hard? Right? Why does Paul have to tell them this? Right? They're Christians now. Why does he have to tell them, stop with the sexual immorality, stop with the impurity, stop lying to each other, stop being so obscene with your mouth? Why does he have to tell them this? He's talking to Christians. <laughs> they're not sanctified yet. They're not human. I mean, they're still human. Still got that sinful nature thing. Oh yeah, we still got that thing. Devil is alive and whispers things in your ear. There's, there's still temptation. 
And you're not the only one. You're just more honest about it. I mean, isn't this, isn't this the, where the rubber meets the road to be a Christian? Why is it that we're still struggling with some of the same things from a few years, maybe a few decades ago? I, I, don't, I don't totally know the answer to this. Now, some of this, I think, is just kind of in the providence of God. I mean, we have heard stories, and I believe them, of someone who maybe had a particularly dominant sin in their life that was really, truly enslaving them, and when they got saved, God chose to literally take that away, whether it was an addiction or some inclination, and, and, and he not only saved their soul, but he redeemed them from that proclivity, whatever it was. And, and obviously, God can do that. Um, from what I've seen, that's not typical. I, and I, I, I'm, not, I'm not short-selling by any means the grace of God, but it just in my life, it, it hasn't worked out that way, and I, I don't think I'm the only one, or me and Gwen, I don't think, are the only ones. Um, there's still work to do there, right? And I think Paul's crew were in the same boat, right? Otherwise, he wouldn't have had to tell them all this. You know, when he wrote to the first Corinthians, God bless the first Corinthians, I mean, God bless the Corinthians, you know, they, it took them a long time to get their stuff worked out. Um, you know, there was, you know, it was even worse for them. So God, I mean, Paul was like, okay, folks, you know, let's all get on the same team. We need to live differently. Why is this such a struggle, and, and uh, I don't think it's any accident. I guess we can go back to Romans real quick. I wasn't sure if I was going to do this, but I think we got a minute. You can read this for yourself. Probably one of the more famous passages in Romans. We just looked at Romans 6. If you look at Romans 7, this is where, where Paul you know, talks about his, his own struggles. Um, We could pick up uh, a lot of different places. Uh, let's look at uh, verse 15 of Romans 7. He says, For I do not understand my own actions. Now, how honest is that? Like, I don't know what the heck I'm doing sometimes. I do not understand my own actions. For I do not do what I want, but I do the very thing I hate. Now, if I do what I do not want, then I'm agreeing with the law, and it's over... Verse 19, for I do not do the good I want, but the evil I do not want is what I keep on doing. Now, if I do what I do not want, it's no longer me, it's no longer I who do it, but sin that dwells within me. So, yes, we've got this, we, we, we have been saved. We have been, we have died with Christ. We have been raised with him, as he just got through saying one chapter ago in Romans. But yet, we've still got this echo of our old nature. Our, it's more than just an echo. You know, there's still some badness there that until glory, when sanctification, to use the, the fancy word for it, as Francis says, which is really the, the best word for it, that's when the, the last blemish is gone. 
right? That's when we're perfect. We're just not there yet. So I think passages like the one today, I think should kind of help us all to, you know, we're, we're prone to comparison, right? We put people on a pedestal. That, and there are role models and so forth. And that's why it's so disappointing when we see them mess up, as inevitably they do, right? I mean, I'm sure, you know, there was a day when our children put up such role models, and then there was a day when we disappointed them too. And, you know, it's like, okay. Um, I think passages like this, are in a weird way encouraging to me. It tells me that the Christian walk is not something that's some constant report card with either pass-fail. Because that's where Satan will get in our ear and say, what in the world are you thinking that you could get up in front and teach Sunday school? I know what you're really like. How dare you think that you could talk to so-and-so at work and tell them what they need to be doing when you've got your own junk going on. You know, that's when Satan starts whispering in our ear. And I think there's some benefit in knowing that we're all struggling, that even this, this uh, group of believers that, that was, uh, if not personally, at least spiritually connected to Paul, that you know, they were still struggling. They were new, fresh Christians. They were, they were still struggling, and, and we're still struggling. And I, I think it is a, a process, and again, this is more fully fleshed out in, in Romans, where Paul talks about how, is our, how are we renewed. Well, we're renewed when we're getting the Word, when we let the Holy Spirit apply that to us, when we, when we do encourage each other, and when we are making progress on that road, and but when we slip up, it doesn't mean we're not Christians anymore. It just means we're not sanctified yet. He's not this. It's kind of a cliche, but there's a little truth behind most cliches. You know, God's not finished with me yet. That, that's true. And I think a lot of times, you know, if, we, if we've had a good run lately, we start to think we're doing all right. You know, and and we start to feel better about ourselves, right? You know, but then if we if we had a bad run lately, we keep tripping over ourselves, then we curse about us, right? But God sees us the same all the time. His love for us hasn't changed. I mean, he's with us all the time. Um, So I think there's a a weird type of encouragement in a passage um, like this. Um, I think ultimately it's kind of about changing our perspective. Um, I came across, uh, I don't know, I guess it was just some show I was flipping around on TV or not. It was about, uh, you know, there's all this uh, renewed interest in space exploration, but it's not so, I mean, yeah, they're talking about going to Mars and all this kind of stuff, but the big thing is they're talking about, uh, like, um, passenger trips to space, right? Where you could, you know, spend a few hundred thousand dollars and and go, like, in orbit around the Earth and stuff like that. And uh, so they were talking about kind of the evolution of space travel and, I meant to bring a picture of it, but you guys are, have seen, no doubt, this big 
picture from outer space of the earth, right? Um, they call it the blue marble, this big picture from outer space. It was taken on December 7th, 1972, and I put my notes, I said, this is just 31 years to the day from Pearl Harbor. Now, and I had to think about that. Is that, is that right? I mean, just a, uh, not even a generation, and from Pearl Harbor to, okay, now we're taking a picture from space. And they said that this particular picture changed a lot for people. It really made clear all the stuff that's going on in the world. We're all on the same marble in the middle of space. We really are all in this together in ways that we probably didn't think about before. It's been credited as bringing in the whole environmental movements and saying, you know, look, here's our little planet in the middle of all this blackness. We probably better take care of it. Environmentalism is not really anything crazy. It's Genesis 1, taking good care of the earth. I mean, that's kind of what God told us to do. Um, it changed people's perspective of what it was like to picture yourself on this. I think a lot of Paul's advice here is perspective. He said, set your heart, set your minds on things above. We've talked about it several times. Do you see yourself as your day-to-day -day interactions um, the same way you did before Christ? Or do you see it differently? Um, do you see the opportunity to meet somebody new as just networking for your business, or do you see them to say, gosh, I wonder where they are with the Lord? You know, it's, it's, it's all about perspective. Um, in another context, uh, there's a guy that talks about um, the way we see the world, and he said, you know, it's, it's like you put different glasses on. You know, things look differently. Um, Paul is saying, you know, you should, you should really look at things differently now. You, shouldn't, you should act differently, but your motivation should be different. It should kind of bother you that these things are still going on. And I think it, it does for the Christian. And we do have a conscience, and the Holy Spirit can prompt us. You know, you probably need to deal with this, Art. Probably shouldn't be ignoring this. You know, let's, let's work on that. Um, there's a lot to do with perspective. So as, as Paul is trying to onboard these new believers... I think we can see a lot of ourselves in the passage, and um, next week we're going to talk uh, a, a little bit more because he talks a little bit more about what are these new clothes that we're supposed to put on our new self? What, is, what does that look like? And so we'll talk about that. Um, the first part is kind of personal, and then we'll see in 18, which I might get to, um, how does this new Christian walk work itself out in terms of the relationships that you have? So very practical stuff. Um, but I think the, the take-home message for me is that um, uh, most of the Christian walk is, is about lifting my eyes back up, getting my perspective back right, and then focusing on those day-to-day -day things to try to align um, my what should be my new heart with 
you know, to get my actions aligned with that. Probably a good stopping point. Uh, any comments? I see a lot of nodding out there. We really find what love is when you become a Christian. I mean, me and Rhonda wasn't Christians when we got married. When I was born. And I told her, I said, I love you. I mean, I told her before that, and I said, I, I really love you. And she looked at me, well, I love you too. I said, no, I said, I know what love is now. And it makes a difference when you become a Christian, you know? To figure out what love is. That makes sense. <coughs> I think he gives you the key when he says set your mind on things because um, we're, we've almost swung too far the other way. Um, you've heard, well, he's so heavenly minded, he's no work for good. Um, people who are heavenly minded almost have a put on the armor of God against Satan because um, that's how he gets to you, it's through your mind. All sin is born in your mind. So if you can set your mind on heaven and set your mind on Jesus and set your mind on his plan and his his thoughts, then you're automatically protected and the walk becomes a little easier. The problem is we, we keep looking down. You know, we're with Peter, we, we keep looking at the you know, we're walking on the water. Then we I think there was probably a reason it it too kind of became a cliche, but you know, ten or fifteen years ago, you couldn't pass anybody in the mall without seeing a WWJD bracelet, right? What would Jesus do bracelets? Well, what was that doing really? It was kind of changing how people thought. Okay, I, I'm gonna try to think a little differently. What what would Jesus do? You know? In a way, that's kind of what Paul's saying. It's kind of what Francis is saying, you know. Let's elevate our our focus a little bit. Well, it goes back to also what he's saying. It's not about us. It's about what he did. He's told us our, our works are like filthy rags. You know, we just got to keep, them, you know, keep our eyes on Jesus and recognize and take the faith that it takes to do that. Until that day comes, he, he, he greets us. We're we, we going to be in the sinful nature. That's true. And I didn't connect it overly much, but I should make the point, you know, when this concept of, you know, when, the, when we were told our best is as filthy rags, the, the focus there was how do you become righteous? Do we become righteous by our works? No, we'll never be good enough to become righteous by our works. It will always be filthy rags by comparison. And that's kind of what the latter part of Colossians chapter 2 was saying. You know, these people who want to judge you by based on, you know, you know, the who you're going to worship, how good your body's going to be, festivals and food and drink, you know, that's that's not how you become a better Christian. You know, that's not how you get saved. It's kind of a separate topic. Um, let's move on. Let's set our, our goals above. All right. Well, thanks, everybody. Let's, uh, let's pray and we'll go. Father, we thank you for this day. We thank you for the words of Paul that are so timely, that um, you are still working on us. You are still 
working through this process of sanctification to make us more and more like uh, Jesus. And I just pray that you'd help us to continue to uh, focus our hearts and our minds on on Jesus. And um, uh, Holy Spirit, we just pray that you'd uh, give us uh, a sensitive conscience that you could continue to um, grow us and mold us and, and make it easier and give us that strength that we need uh, to walk uh, in a new way and to put these things aside. Uh, I thank you for these folks uh, who are here and for the encouragement they give uh, to each other, that we all give to each other, and we thank you for that. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks, everybody. Thank you.